the Classical Rebellion Proclamation. Here's the thing with this thing we're calling Classical Rebellion. We and others like us love classical music and art and literature and philosophy and also love the art of irreverence. While we love all the humanities, we despise the culture which contaminates art and classical music and opera, etc. On the one hand, it's got a significant number of douches know-it-alls, and on the other hand, it's full of super nice people who barely know what's going on. For instance, at a concert of Rachmaninoff's Piano Concerto No. 2, I heard a person behind me say how the movie Shine was all about the Rock 5 and how great it was. That's a nice person who is at a classical music concert but has no idea what is going on. There is no Rock 5 of any type. He wrote four piano concertos and four symphonies. The movie Shine was about the Rock 3. Why did this comment bother me so much? Was I being a know-it-all? It wasn't because this person misspoke about Rachmaninoff. I was disgusted because this person was being inauthentic and trying to represent themselves as someone who knew something about the music when in reality they were ignorant. Easy. Easy. Who cares if this person expressed their ignorance as curated information? I care. And the reason I care is because it's dangerous. This person believed in their ignorance to such an extent that they expressed it as an insightful fact to another ignorant person, thereby increasing the amount of ignorance. It adds up. As a macro behavior, it's terrifying. For the record, we are running the same risk with the content of classical rebellion. Could it be that we are dispensing nonsense as the distilled wisdom of the ages? It is completely possible. However, when we catch it, or if we were called out on it, we will confess the heinous sin of darkening your counsel with words which lack wisdom and refine our course. Rebellion has always been about resisting the artificial in favor of the authentic. In political terms, the issue usually centers around the application of justice and equality of opportunity being perceived as artificial or rigged. There's nothing political about our approach. We tend to see the only opportunity to reform the current political landscape is for each individual to reform themselves. Is that what classical rebellion is? A reformation? No. And yes. While we would never claim the status of a colossus such as Martin Luther, we are most certainly part of a larger reformation of culture which is in its infancy but developing rapidly. The demise of network television and radio has followed the decline of print media. The maturity of the blog, YouTube, and the rise of the podcast is rejuvenating the long-form conversation and article. When I first began as a columnist for the San Diego Reader, I was asked to write one to 200 word pieces three times per week. They wanted something like a blog. That was 2010, and blogs were peaking. Currently, I am asked for a four to 500 word piece once per week. It is nearly impossible to write a full and meaningful review of a concert experience within 500 words. However, the print format can only handle 500 words. I was forced to pick one aspect of the concert and focus there. Turns out that was a good thing, because I was forced to dispense with all the meaningless platitudes which rest upon the surface of music reviews like so much grease from a filthy pan of ineptitude. Shots fired. 
While this is a rebellion, we also brush our teeth, make our beds, walk the dog, feed the cats, and take out the trash. Rebellion need not be about chaos and disorder. In fact, a rebellion which is only chaotic is doomed to fail. A successful rebellion must live in the space between what Nietzsche called the Dionysian and the Apollonian, what Jung called the anima and the animus, what the Taoists call yin and yang, and what the Samkhya philosophy of India calls Prakriti and Purusha. The space we want is between chaos and order, between potential and actual, between what could be, what is becoming, and what is. It is a narrow path to tread and difficult to keep a foot in both chaos and order. This is the space that Jesus was referring to in the book of Matthew. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. The Buddha called it the middle way of the noble eightfold path. We intend to stand upon the shoulders of giants and add our widow's might to this conversation which is both ancient and new.